But while Miranda settled seamlessly into pop culture, it was a controversial legal decision almost from the start. Many viewed Miranda as protection for the guilty at the expense of police. Carol Cooley certainly feels that way. Well, there was a, uh, a very bad decision, I should say, for police work because much of what police do is gather information and seek the truth. And if you tell somebody he doesn't uh, have to talk to you, and then you tell him, listen, if you have, you have right to an attorney. If you can't afford one, we will provide you one. Well, attorneys tell their clients, don't talk to the police. And so, uh, you know, if a person is being questioned and he's told these warnings, he'd be somewhat a fool to not take advantage and to answer those questions. He gave an example of a case where he felt that Mirandizing a suspect may have allowed a guilty man to get away with a crime. That crime was the murder of Ernesto Miranda himself. Miranda was stabbed to death in a bar fight in Phoenix in 1976. There was a fight between he and two other Hispanic males over a card game there at the bar. That was the biggest mistake of his life. It was his life. He was stabbed twice, once in the stomach, through the heart. And he died on that dirty four. Two men were questioned in the case. One was eventually charged, but the other suspect disappeared after the police questioned him. Cooley feels that the second man escaped in part because he was Mirandized and police couldn't get enough information to keep him in custody. The one thing you should know, though, that the guy that stabbed him to death was questioned. He was given his rights and questioned, but we didn't have a case on him, and he walked away, and he's still gone. He's still out in the wind. But there were also plenty of critics who felt that Miranda didn't go far enough. Absolutely. So critics from the right who thought this was a, an infringement of police professionalism and, and uh, overreaching by the courts over mm-hmm. uh, the police, which was true for much of what the Warren Court did, that it was perceived to be the court being too activist. But from the left, it certainly seemed to many, I think to fewer at the time, but more over time, uh, that... By providing, say, you know, you just have to say that people have these rights, they're called Miranda rights now, right, that people have these rights doesn't really help them very much. It creates Mm. a formal rule, and then once everybody accepts the rule, suddenly you say, you have these rights, you know you have these rights, and then if you talk to me, it's all fair game, and then what do people do? They still talk. (laughs) And so, um, so it's a formal advance, but does it really protect defendants uh, in the end or suspects in the end? Does it really actually meaningfully change the relationship between the suspect and the officer? Eventually, the legal controversy surrounding the Miranda decision and Miranda, the pop culture icon, would meet in a court case called Dickerson versus the United States. The question before the court today asks whether Congress has the authority to legislatively overrule and reverse this court's decision in Miranda. 
The key to this question turns on whether the requirements of Miranda are constitutionally based and therefore immune. Is the requirement that the police go through these very precise details in cautioning somebody, is that constitutionally required or is that just a good idea? And if you don't do that, it's still possible to claim that the testimony was voluntary. And so the question of Miranda's constitutional pedigree was squarely at issue in Dickerson in a case that, in a a way that it had never been before. But it's not that easy to get rid of, my guess is. In the decision for the court written by Chief Justice Rehnquist. I have the opinion of the court to announce the number 995525 Dickerson against the United States. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can be used against you in a court of law. A lot of people don't think the details of Miranda stand up. He acknowledged that if he had to do it himself, beginning from zero, ground zero, that he probably wouldn't hand down the requirements as they were handed down. But then he went on to say, unfortunately, maybe we're not writing on a blank slate. These four warnings have echoed through police stations and on television screens in the 34 years since we decided the case of Miranda versus Arizona. And in particular, we're writing a decision about Miranda and what voluntariness means in the midst of a popular culture where everybody knows the Miranda warning, he says. And everybody expects that when they're being now subjected to what the courts would call custodial interrogation, when they're under arrest and being asked potentially incriminating questions, they think they're supposed to have been given a Miranda warning. Whether or not we would agree with Miranda's reasoning and its resulting rule, were we addressing the issue in the first instance? Miranda has become embedded in routine police practices to the point where the warnings have become part of our national culture. And we can't pretend that that's not happening. And so if we take the Miranda warning away, we'll confuse people. We'll unsettle all these expectations that people have. And that's a problem. And so the court relied on the sort of basic common law concept of precedent. We call it stare decisis in Latin, where the previous decision stands, not because we agree with it necessarily, but because it would be too socially disruptive to try and reverse it make life imitate art, in effect. Yeah, in a really interesting way. Yeah, the, the, the popular culture, the court acknowledges the, the national culture expects it. That we all know, they, they didn't say it, but we all know that it comes from, you know, Jack Webb and Adam 12 and the, and the various police procedurals over the years. You can't take it away without confusing people. And so I guess we're going to have to leave it in place, says the court. But, but it's also not the end of the story. You and your researchers made a pretty striking observation that during the 1980s, you take a show like Hill Street Blues, and just in the way that the arrests on that show were being portrayed, you found that three out of four of the arrests, over 75% of the arrests on Hill Street Blues, included some element of the Miranda rights being read as part of the broadcast. Fast forward to the 90s and early 2000s, a show like NYPD Blue, and over 80% of the arrests on the show do not have any Miranda rights involved at all. Again, this is from your own research with your team. Now, this is an amazing development because it's demonstrating that the popular culture is shifting. The way in which Miranda, as part of a script, enters the discussion as a plot device is leaving our popular culture. 
Is there any sense that that may have an impact on what the future of Miranda rights may be going forward? I think that's exactly the right question. So the the fact that we don't see Miranda anymore as much as we used to is important <laughs> because if Dickerson is serious, if the court is serious and it's saying Miranda was perhaps a flawed decision, but we're going to live with it because people are so it's so ingrained in people's mind through TV and then TV stops showing it, if that's true, then what happens when People haven't seen it so much on TV. What's the next step in that analysis? So we didn't right. do uh, a study to find out how aware are people today of Miranda. You know, yeah, I can recite Miranda more or less. I don't know if my kids mm-hmm. can cite Miranda. As a matter of fact, I tested them and they can't. <laughs> they get, you know, <laughs> they get into, you know, you have the right to remain silent and then they become silent. Uh, it stops at that point. That's all they know. Yeah, I, I'm of the generation of the law and order blackout as well. So it really does stop after that, those first two sentences. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there was even, um, you know, we did our study based on TV shows, but one of the students who did the research with me pointed out in the, the more recent movie, uh, what, 21 Jump Street, it becomes a plot joke that the mm-hmm. these young cops they themselves can't recite Miranda, that they haven't seen enough shows um, where the whole Miranda warning is given that they don't actually know it themselves. Do you even know the Miranda rights? Yes. What's your name then? Uh, it's, look, it obviously starts with you have the right to remain silent. I know you've heard this before. And, and then um, it, it, I think it sounds something like, uh, you have the right to remain an attorney. Did you say that you have the right to be an attorney? You do have the right to be an attorney if you want to. But what would you say the the legacy is of Miranda, given its permutations both through the courts and through popular culture? I think Miranda is, of course, a big part of the Warren Court era rethinking of criminal procedure and the rights of criminal suspects. And that's something that I think we perhaps maybe take for granted today. We forget how bad it had gotten um, because there were no national constitutional standards. Judges and prosecutors who in many cases are actually elected representatives have this overwhelming desire to get convictions, right? Get the bad guy. And if nobody stops them from going too far, they go too far. And The courts saw that, and the Supreme Court said, unfortunately, the only way we're going to get law and order in the police departments and in the criminal prosecutions is if we tell the police, look, if you invade somebody's privacy and search them illegally, that evidence is useless. So so don't do it. If you intimidate somebody into a confession that they didn't want to make, that confession's useless. It's not going to be used in court. So there's no point doing it. If you want your convictions to stand up, do it the right way. Ron Steiner is a professor of law at Chapman University and co-author of The Rise and Fall of Miranda Warnings in Popular Culture. Earlier, we heard from Carol Cooley, a retired captain with the Phoenix Police Department. We also heard from Risa Golubov, Dean of the University of Virginia School of Law and author of Vagrant Nation, 
police power, constitutional change, and the making of the 1960s. 